I love this particular passage in the message, and it's Isaiah 43, verse 16 through 21. This is what God says. The God who builds a road right through the ocean, who carves a path through pounding waves, the God who... What was that? Was that heaven? (laughs) The God who summons horses and chariots and armies... They lie down and then they can't get up. They're snuffed out like so many candles. Forget about what's happened. Everybody say that. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. That's good advice. Don't keep living in the past. My dad this week showed me a cartoon in one of the weekly editions of the Newcastle Herald, this young boy comes to his dad, young teenager, comes to his dad and said, Dad, I need money. And the dad said, well, do what I do. And the boy said, what, dwell in the past or holler at the TV? No, he said, get a job. So, but you know, I think sometimes we can just sit and spend our life hollering at the TV and dwelling in the past. But we're called by God not to go over old history. Don't keep focusing on what's happened. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert. Sometimes we've got to open the eyes of our faith. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands, wild animals will say thank you, the coyotes and the buzzards, because I provided water in the desert, rivers through the sun-baked earth, drinking water for the people I chose, the people I made especially for myself, a people custom-made to praise me. I, I love verses 18 and 19, especially in this translation. Forget about what's happened in the past. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present in the moment. You can't change your beginning, but you can change your end. That's a given. You can't change what's already happened. What has happened has happened. The good, the bad, and the ugly. You can't do a thing about it, but you can do something about your future. And that's what I believe God is calling each of us in 2018 to do. Forget about what's behind. Forget about what's happened to you and look forward. God is about to do a brand new thing in each and every one of our lives. You know, it's not uncommon for life to throw up some pretty bad experiences. Everyone sitting here has had bad experiences at one time or other in their life. Some worse than others. It's not uncommon for life to throw pain at us. It's not uncommon. You've, you've only got to walk the street and look in the eyes of people and look at you know, their demeanor, their, their countenance, how their, their gait is as they're walking down the street. And you can tell life has thrown some pain at them. It's not uncommon for us to face disappointment. It's not uncommon for us to experience setback, storms that have the potential of taking us out of the race, storms that, if not handled well, stress and pressure that, if not handled well, can actually knock the wind out of our sails and have us on the sideline of life, not continuing to pursue what our God destiny is for our lives. It's not uncommon for life to be challenging us and throwing some difficult things in our way. When Jesus was on the cross, a very interesting thing happened. Somebody came to him as he was almost about to breathe his last. 
He was broken. He was, he was tired. He was wounded. He was in pain. He was thirsty. And someone comes, and on the end of a stick, they attached some kind of a drinking vessel. And the Bible says they filled it with sour wine, some kind of a drink that they had back then, and they lifted it to his mouth. And we read this interesting statement, Jesus tasted it, but refused to drink it. Now, we can read that and just think, oh, well, he didn't like it. But there's gold in those words. You know, in life, you will taste bitterness, but you don't have to drink it into your soul. You don't have to consume it. Every one of us will experience bitter situations, bitter circumstances, but we have a choice as to how we let those circumstances affect our life, affect our emotions, affect our souls. We have a choice to be able to deal with those things biblically and with the help of the Holy Spirit and keep pushing forward into the new thing and the new day that God has planned for our lives. You know, when we drink into our soul some of the bitter things that life throws at us, eventually over a period of time, it begins to affect our inner world. It, it begins to tangle us like spaghetti in our emotional world. Deep down in the recesses of our soul, it can have such a negative impact upon our inner, inner man, our inner woman. And when you allow the things externally in life to affect you internally, it will eventually flow out of you and again begin to affect your external world. You will begin to, if we can just take a moment and check our phones, that would be really helpful. You know, we've had a couple just go off. If we can just check our phones, make sure they're on silent. Uh, we don't want to interrupt God, preaching of God's word. You know, the devil is cunning. He will bring distractions and stop people hearing what God wants them to say. So let's just check our phones, make sure they're off. You know, it will, it will greatly impact our outer world. It will impact how we see life. It will impact our vision, our hope for the future. And it will eventually begin to impact our relationships. You know, I, I'm not, and our staff will quickly tell you this, I, I'm not all that computer savvy. Some people think I am, but I'm not. My mum and dad just bought an iPhone. Dad's 89, mum's 83. And I'm, I'm helping them. <laughs> it's the blind leading the blind. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not that computer savvy. It's not, it's not uncommon to hear my voice from my office resounding around the building, Jono! <laughs> my, my computer screen has got that little wheel spinning <laughs> and spinning and spinning, and spinning, an hour's gone by, and it's spinning. You know, some, I, there's something about me and computers, you know, and I, I just find that, that the computer will not do what I tell it to do. The computer will not respond the way it's supposed to respond. They're supposed to help us. Somebody said once, to err is human, but to really foul things up, you need a computer. 
But you know, I find I get frustrated because computers are supposed to help us. Excel formulas won't work. Screens freeze. Things crash. You lose stuff that you just spent three hours um, working on and it crashed. And it's like, well, where is it? It's gone. And Jono, get it back. Did you save it? (laughs) How do I do that? It's like, will you click this button called say, did you do that? No, I didn't know I had to do that. Just get it back. I can't get it back. You didn't save it. It's gone. It's, it's the most frustrating wheel. But when that little wheel starts spinning, I start clicking. And I click and I click and I click and I click. And then I hit the computer keyboard and I just try any, you know. It's one of the most frustrating things for me. It's a bizarre. I use an iPad. I love my iPad. But you know something? I have lost so much stuff off my iPad because I didn't... Um, no, what's it called? Back it, up. back it up. That's the word. I didn't back What's that mean? It's like, can you just get it back? It's all gone. I, I, one day, my iPad just did a hissy fit. And when it turned on again, it was all different. So I, I went to the genius bar. <laughs> Fairing him. And I'm sitting at the genius bar and I said, I need these documents back. It was about 50 sermons that I had put hours of work into. Did you back it up? Did you back it to the cloud? I beg your pardon. <laughs> what, what cloud? Where, where, where is the cloud? The cloud is a bizarre thing. You know, it's like we look up into the sky and we think, is that where all my data is? <laughs> you know, it, it really, but you know something, in the journey of the computer world, I've learned a little trick. There's little cheats that you can use. Control, Alt, Delete. If you push all three of those buttons at once, the universe realigns. Everything comes back to normality. Control, Alt, Delete. It's like a magical reset formula that you hit. And what I want to say, I told you that story to say this. I I believe 2018, God wants you to reset your life. He wants you to hit control or delete on the spiritual keyboard of your life. He wants you to give him control back. He wants you to allow him to make some alterations in your life. And he wants to delete some stuff from your past, your history, that does not belong in your future. And just like we do that on our computer, he wants us to do that in the computer of our soul, in our mind. He wants to give us our reset button, a whole new meaning. He wants to realign us back to the purpose and the plan that he had. He doesn't want us going over old history. Many of you know our story, Margot's and my story, over the last seven or eight years. You know, at times it's been incredibly horrendous. But this word is as much for me as it is for you. Don't keep going all over what's happened. Don't keep dwelling on the past. Don't keep focusing. You know, I I listened to some great messages when I was off, and I'm going to rip them apart and re-preach them to you because they so spoke to my heart. But there was a series of messages, and the first one was, it will happen. 
And it's about Paul sailing to Rome to face his trial and they shipwreck and land on the Isle of Malta and a great storm comes before they shipwreck but Paul has a prophetic insight and says this will happen. We will shipwreck, but your lives will be spared. The ship will be lost. We, it will go down. We'll lose all of our cargo. All of your souvenirs, wherever you've been, are all gone. But you, you will be spared. It will happen. Let me tell you something. The Bible is very clear. Stuff will happen to us. Come to terms with it. Bad things, negative things will happen to us. It will happen. The second message in the series, series is, is uh, it, it will happen. It had to happen. It had to happen so that certain things can be adjusted in your life. It had to happen so that your faith levels could go to a whole new uh, sphere. It had to happen so that you could see the hand of God and the salvation of God rising up on your behalf to get you out of whatever it was. It, was. it had to happen because it was part of the purpose of God in His plan to grow us and develop us and enlarge our capacity and prepare us for bigger things, growing our heart, growing our spirit, growing our soul so that we can face bigger giants, bigger battles, and achieve far more for kingdom purpose. It will happen, but it had to happen. And the last message in the series was, I'm glad it happened. And it's based on Philippians chapter 1, where Paul says, you people out there, he's writing, he says, rumors are going around that, that uh, you know, I, I've fallen apart. Rumors have gone around that everything has just gone pear-shaped for me. The wheels have really fallen off. Rumors are going, let me tell you something, it's the purpose of God that I'm sitting in this prison right now. It's the purpose of God that I've lost so much stuff. It's the purpose of God that I'm incarcerated. Let me tell you what's happened since I've been in this prison. Let me tell you about the move of God's Spirit. Since I've, the whole palace guard has been aware that I'm in this prison because of the gospel, and as a result, I had opportunity to lead them to Christ. So my, this thing had to happen, and I'm glad it happened. We've got to come to a place where bad things happen, and we are immature if we go through life thinking, well, all things are just going to work out okay, and, and because God's in my life now, nothing will go wrong, and if things go wrong, God's not happy with me. That is the biggest load of crock you could swallow in your entire Christian journey. It will happen. It had to happen, and I'm glad it happened because of the impact and change that it's had on my life and I've got 10 minutes left and I haven't even started I might have to do this over two Sundays yet um, you know I want to encourage you this morning I believe 2018 it's time to reset it's time to hit the reset button it's time to bring about some adjustments in our life hit control or delete on your spiritual keyboard you know as Christ followers Hitting our spiritual reset button means to recalibrate the most critical value in our life. It means to bring back into alignment the most critical foundation in our life. And that's our relationship with God. If our relationship with God is not healthy, nothing else in our life will be healthy. If our relationship with God isn't like the branch grafted intimately into the vine, we will never bear the kind of fruit God has destined for us. We will never be productive as God has created us to be. We need to recalibrate our relationship with God. 
Everything in life must be built on the health of that relationship. Psalm 34, verse 7 through 9 says, For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him have everything they need. That's an amazing promise. You will lack nothing in your life if you recalibrate your relationship with heaven and you have a biblical relationship with God the Father, you will be provided for, you will be protected, you will, be, um, uh, you will have the windows of heaven open above you like you have never dreamed were even possible. You know, this thing called the fear of God, Jewish tradition teaches that there are three basic forms of fear. The first form of fear, the lowest form of fear, is the anticipation of unpleasant circumstances. I've just bumped this. Is it still sounding okay? The lowest form of fear is the anticipation of unpleasant circumstances. Who remembers these words? Just wait till your father gets home. You grew up in the same house as me. <laughs> Just you wait till your father gets home. You know, it's, it's a, a fear of unpleasant circumstances. That when dad is coming up the steps, you just know life is over as you knew it. That's the basic form of fear. The next level of fear is to feel responsibility. A sense of anxiety that motivates us to do what is right. I don't want to let the team down. Now that's not necessarily a bad form of fear. It's, it's a sense of, I've got to make sure I do what's required of me because I don't want to be the one to drop the ball. If everybody else has done what they're required of them and I'm just the weakest link and I don't do what's required of me, I don't want to be the one everybody looks at and goes, well, thank you very much. It's like the relay race. You can run the best you have ever run, but if the guy you pass that baton to drops it, race is over for you as well. It's a second-level form of fear. It's, I don't want to let the team down. It's about being responsible. But the highest level of fear, according to Jewish tradition, is what we have just read about in Psalm 34. It's to carry a strong sense of respect, reverence, honor for, and worship of our Creator. It's to rightfully acknowledge God as God. It's rightfully to acknowledge Him as the Almighty, the Sovereign One, the, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the one that is deserving of our honor and our respect. It's a posture, the fear of God is a posture that we assume that acknowledges His rightful position. You know, the health of any relationship is determined by our understanding of two things, posture and position. Posture and position. You know, there are, there are many things that have crept into the church today that, that actually sound biblical, but they're not. 
There are many things today. You know, this is why Paul taught in, in one of his Corinthian epistles, the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. He appears to be from God. He appears to be biblical. He appears to be honorable, but he's not. He's still rotten through and through, but disguises himself. The devil is subtle and deceitful. And there are things that have crept into the church today that actually sound noble. They sound biblical, but they are so far from the the truth of scripture that it's frightening how quickly we swallow it without giving it a second thought. You know, have you ever heard someone say this? I treat everybody the same. We're all on the same level. That sounds noble. There's no partiality with me. Everybody's as equal as I am. I'm no better than them. They're no better than me. And there's an element of truth in that. But to go through life saying, I treat everybody the same, you've missed the teaching of Scripture. The Bible actually doesn't teach that. You know, if Luke, our youth pastor, starts behaving badly and John Smack down here, starts behaving badly. Let me tell you something. I will treat them differently. You know why I will treat them differently? Because of what the Bible teaches me. You say, oh, well, that's, no, that's not right. Jesus wouldn't do that. They're both men. They're both in the church. They both love Jesus. Why wouldn't you treat them exactly the same? It sounds noble. It sounds godly. It sounds biblical, but it's not. You see, over in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, Paul says, do not sharply reprimand an older man. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but appeal to him as you would to a father. I remember when I was the district leader, I had another pastor in our district behaving really badly, and he was old enough to be my father. And I had to go and deal with it. And as I'm going to deal with it, I I felt the Holy Spirit remind me of this verse and said, don't you rebuke him. He's an older man. You respect him as such, appeal to him as a father. I knew that was a word from heaven. Now, if John Smack's behaving badly in the church, in my position as the senior pastor, I will go to him and I will appeal to him as a father. Now, he's not that much older than me. I think he's about 12 years older than me. But I will. if Luke's behaving badly, I'll just slap him. And you know why? Because of what this verse says. To younger, you know, do not sharply reprimand an older man, but appeal to him as you would do a father. To younger men as brothers. <laughs> you know, siblings. You know, you treat your brother like you treat your dad. No, you don't. And you're not expected to. You know, we treat our brothers differently. We deal with stuff differently. And, you know, but this stuff has crept into the church. Older women as mothers. You know, the younger women as sisters in all purity, being careful to maintain, look, appropriate. Where is it? It's gone. The next verse. It's supposed to be appropriate. Treat older women like mothers and younger women like sisters in all purity. Is there another bit? There's not another bit there. The next bit says, um, in all purity, careful to maintain appropriate relationships. So you see, it sound, sometimes things sound biblical, but they're not. You know, we need to understand position and then adjust our posture accordingly. You know, how much more important is it that we give God his rightful position? If I'm dealing with my dad, 
He holds the position as my father. I assume the posture as his son. Unless, of course, he's behaving badly in the church. I then have to assume the position of senior pastor. And I expect him to assume the posture as congregation. That messes with my head. But you see, this position and posture is actually a biblical thing. And, you know, it... like. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm actually just going to run out of time here. I, I haven't even started with this. I thought I'd have flown through this. You know, how much more should we give God his rightful position? And we assume our rightful posture. The enemy wanted Eve. Listen to me. Don't miss it. The enemy wanted Eve to change her posture in the Garden of Eden so that, so that she could what? Be like God. And from that moment, everything went bad. From that moment, the enemy saying, change your position, change your posture. And in changing her posture, she's changing her position. And in Genesis 3 verse 5, God knows that your eyes will be opened, Eve, as soon as you eat from that tree in the middle of the garden, and you will be like God. But that was never how creation was meant to be. God was always meant to be God. We were always meant to be creation. And we were always meant to flow under his oversight, his blessing, his protection. But it can never happen if we haven't got God in his right position and us in our right posture. It's the key to life. It's the key to success when we honor God as God and we surrender and submit to him as God. God has become our peer rather than our creator. Instead of being almighty God, he's become almighty God, where he becomes our mate. Now, I know there's a biblical concept where he wants to be our friend, and he does walk with us as friend, but we never lose sight of the fact he is still God. And he is in that position, and when we acknowledge that position and assume the appropriate posture, the blessing of heaven opens up because we're in line with created purpose. You know, everything that is broken in life has come out of our changing position and posture. But God sent Jesus so he could hit the reset button. He sent Jesus so he could reset position and posture. Is God allowed to be God in our life? When we honour and when we revere and we respect God, when we fear God as God, we will place him in his rightful position. And at that point... Our response to God will be biblical. And listen, when God is in his right position and we are in right posture and our response is biblical, fruitfulness is the end result. Success is the end result. Power is the end result. So much stuff flows into our life when he's in the right position and we're in the right posture. Our response will be right. First response we'll have when God is in his right position and we place him there by faith and we honor him and acknowledge him as God and we posture as creation and we surrender to him as God, as our sovereign, our initial first response will be one of faith. And how many of you know faith is what moves the hand of God? 
without faith, it's impossible to please God. But when he's in his position and we're in our position, faith will actually take place. Our first response will be one of sincere faith, which is what unlocks the hand of God in our situation. When God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, this is an amazing read. I was reading it just this week, Genesis chapter 22. God asked Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son of promise. I'm not going to go over the whole story, but but a promise comes to Abraham years before that he would be the father of many nations, but they were childless. His wife was barren and they were beyond childbearing years. It was an impossibility on a natural level. And there was a whole lot of stuff went down. One year came, another year went. Another year came, another year went. It just went on and on. And Abraham began to question, did God really say this? Is this really going to happen? But ultimately, after creating an awful lot of mess, God came through and they had a child, Isaac. And at that moment... God says, I want you to take that boy now and I want you to sacrifice him. I read through Genesis chapter 22 this week. Not once do you read Abraham questioning God. Not once. I I thought there was a lot of, I, I assume there was a lot of questions in here. And as I read through, I thought, oh, there'll be somewhere there where he'll, he'll say, God, are you sure? Is this really what you want? Now, you see, Abraham had God in his right position, and therefore he had the right posture. And as a result of that, faith flowed naturally out of his life. I want you to take your son to the place that I'll, I'll show you, and I want you to sacrifice him. The next verse says, Abraham got up the next morning, gathered his stuff, got his son, got the wood, took off to the place God showed him, went up the mountain. Not one question, not one, one doubt entered his mind he just he just went and did because he knew God is God and I am not and then we we come down and we we read this amazing verse Abraham gets to the point he binds Isaac puts him on the wood lifts the knife ready to take his life no kind of God are you sure he's just he's just gonna do it and then suddenly the voice of God comes and says don't lay a hand on the boy verse 12 it's up on the screen don't lay a hand on the boy Do not hurt him in any way. What's this? For now I know that you truly fear God. You respect God. You revere God. You honor God. You see him as God. And you don't question him because you know that deep down in his his being, he is good and will only ever do good. And you need to just trust him to do whatever he wants to do. And when you go through a storm, when you go through a trial, when you go through a disappointment, when you go through a setback, don't sit down and start whinging at God. Start saying, God, what purpose do you want to bring out of this? You are God and I am not. There was an old ad years ago for the small goods company. Don, D-O-N, Don Small Goods. You know, and the ad used to say, Don, if is Don is good. Who remembers that? Is Don is good. Well, let me tell you, is God is good. But when he's in the right position and we're in the right posture, no matter what comes our way, faith will always be the response. God, you are good. You only ever do good. You've told me to do this. You you said it. I believe it. That settles it. I will just do it. Abraham did not. You read it. Genesis 20. Not once does he say, God, are you sure? He just does it. Because deep down in his heart, he just had that response that said, God is good. And probably in his mind, he's going, I don't know why this is happening, but God's told me to do it. I'm going to do it. So he did it. Now I know that you fear God, posture and position. You have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So our first response when position and posture is right is faith. Our second response will be a life of holiness. We don't like talking about holiness in the church today. You see, we want to do what we want to do and then have God as a backup. 
We want to live life the way we want to live it. We want to go around boozing up and drugging and carrying on and behaving badly, sleeping around, you know, doing whatever we want. Oh, we're going to get married anyway, so I think we'll just sleep together. It's okay. We love each other. It's all right. We're as good as married, etc. It's unbiblical. But we want that. And then when things go wrong, we're desperately rushing. God, help me. God, get me out of this. God, save me. God, provide for me. God, I need you to come through. I'm standing on the promise. There's not much happening. But our life is not aligning because our position and posture is not correct. Is this making sense? Holiness. Aligning our values and our priorities with his. When position and posture is right, Holiness comes naturally. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work toward complete holiness, a life set apart for God's purpose. Why? Because we fear God. Why? Because we fear God. We have him in his right position and we assume the right posture. And as a result of that, I align. And I, I'm, oh, fair income. Have we got a little bit longer? Can I go a little bit? I really would like to try and finish this if I can rather than back it up again next week. We fear God. I said last week, grace is the end of earning, but it's not the end of effort. It's a big difference. Grace is the end of earning, but it's not the end of effort. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul says, make every effort. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort to resolve conflict in a biblical manner. Make every effort to forgive and let go of resentment in a biblical manner. Make every effort to reconcile relationships. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. The church could do with a big dose of that kind of effort. And it's biblical. So I don't have to make it. It's not effort anymore. No, it's not effort to earn God's favor. It's effort now to align. It's effort now to posture. It's effort now to bring ourselves into that place where God is God and we are functioning in the created place we were destined to function in. 2 Peter chapter 1. So that Paul said that. Peter says now, in view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Make every effort to supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. There's a lack of that in the house of God today. There's not a lot of moral excellence. There's a lot of flippancy, assuming upon God. That I can just do what I want when I want. It's okay. God's grace just washes over me and forgives me. It's unbiblical. What Bible are we reading? We've got to come back to the Word of God. We've got to come back to align ourselves. We are still called to make a sacrifice. It's the New Testament that says, take up your cross and follow him. A cross is a symbol of pain and sacrifice and suffering with Christ in the journey of aligning our life with him. Uh, moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. Self-control with patient endurance. I really failed that one when we had the grandkids. I Believe me, I, I did not do very well with that at all. But I have to keep making every effort. Um, godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love for everyone. Here we've got people that... Oh, I don't want to sit near them. They rub me up the wrong way. 
I don't want to sit with them. They're, they're too loud. I, I don't want to sit too close to them. They're, they've got B.O. You, you know, there's not a lot of affection in the house of God today. We've got to bring that back. I see a church unified with an unshakable love for one another. You see, and it's, we've got to make every effort. Uh, Peter says in chapter 3, verse 14 of his second epistle, and so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, the promises of God, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless. Pure and blameless. When we live with a biblical and therefore a healthy fear of God where our position and posture is correct, not only will we respond with sincere faith and genuine holiness, but our lives will be characterized by true worship. Let me tell you, worship is not just raising our hands on Sunday. Worship is a lifestyle. You can come to church, having lived like the devil all week, and then all of a sudden put on this big facade, raise your hands and sing wonderful songs, and we call it worship. When the rest of our life does nothing worshipful towards heaven. You know, the Bible teaches that leaders are to be respected and honoured, but they are not to be worshipped. Don't, don't ever worship me. I will let you down. I will fail you. The Bible calls you to respect and honour the position I hold, the office that I carry, the mantle that God has placed upon my life, but you're not called to worship me. Only God is deserving of our worship. Romans 12.1, you all know this. I plead with you, give your bodies... It's the effort. Surrender your bodies, not, not just your spirit on Sunday to sing songs. Surrender your bodies, which is the vehicle we touch this world with. Surrender your body to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Do you want to know what the kind of worship is God is looking for? It's a lifestyle that honours him. It's choices that honour him. It's relationships that honour him. You know, I want to be careful when I say this. Not every relationship, even with other Christians, is honouring for you. There's a lot of carnality in God's church today. There's a lot of people who look good on Sunday, but they're not doing the right thing through the week. God does not want you aligned with that. You know, he wants you to align with people who are pursuing Jesus with all their heart, who are fighting the fight of faith so that when tough times come for you, for you, you can lean on them. How did you get through this? But if you're with someone that's, oh, I don't know, I just go to church on Sunday. I don't really follow it. But there's a lot of that in the church today. You know, we need to be people who are honouring God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all. Is it up there? Do it all for the glory of God. Yeah, I'm sleeping around for the glory of God. What? You really, you really believe that? And of course we don't. Yeah, I'm doing drugs for the glory of God. I'm getting drunk every night for the glory of God. I'm swearing like a trooper for the glory of God. Yeah, do it all for the glory. You know, it's like we, we are religious if we just come to church. But we don't make every effort to align. Put God in his right pot position and us in our right posture. You know, when our relationship is godly and our response is biblical, let me close by sharing with you very quickly the rewards. When we put God in his right position and we assume the right posture 
And our responses then become a natural flow of faith and holiness and genuine true worship. Here's the rewards that come. You will have a flow in your life of wisdom and instruction. You, you watch this, Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalm 111, verse 10, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise him forever. Listen to me. You will never in your life lack direction. You will never in your life lack solutions. You will never lack strategies to get through, to get over, to get around, to overcome, to deal with. You will never, ever lack direction. You will have an inflow of your life of revelation from heaven that is filled with wisdom and instruction. When God is in his right position and you assume the right posture and your faith response is natural, you will have an inflow of wisdom and instruction. The next thing is blessing and fruitfulness will flow down through your family. Your kids will experience an overflow because of your position and posture. Psalm 112 verse 1 to 2, praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. There's the effort. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. These are promises from God's Word, but it's all conditional upon position and posture. Psalm 128, verse 1 to 4, How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow His ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear Him, which is the highest form of fear. It's honor, respect, reverence for God. It's position and posture. The next thing that will happen is you'll have an overflow of kindness, grace, and affection from heaven. You will feel and know that you are loved. God only has grace for brokenness and humility. He does not have grace for carnality and pride. That's the truth of God's Word. James 4, 6, He gives more grace. Therefore, He says, God resists the proud. Resisting you is not grace. But the New Testament says if you have pride in your life, there's no grace flow for you. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Psalm 103, verse 10 through 11. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. The next thing that will happen is you'll have a flow of compassion from God. Sometimes we think God is not compassionate at all. But if he's in his right position and we assume the right posture and we have faith, holiness, and true worship, that is a natural response to position and posture. Compassion will flow out of heaven to your every challenge, to your every struggle, to your every storm, to your every pain, to your every grief. Compassion will flow out of heaven. Psalm 103 verse 13. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who... Fear him, position and posture. Second last thing, protection. You know, we all need protection. Let me tell you something. There were times I felt very, very vulnerable over the last seven or so years. But I can look back and I can see the hand of protection of God every single moment of the way. At times I thought, I'm a sitting duck. I'm a done dinner. But yet looking back in hindsight, we've just seen the hand of God's protection all the way through. And I don't say this with any sense, sense of arrogance. I think it was just simply because we 
saw him in his position and postured ourselves accordingly and said, God, without you, we are sunk. And protection flowed. Psalm 111, uh, uh, sorry, Proverbs 19, verse 23. Fear, the Lord, fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection from harm. These are promises in God's word. And the last one is, you will have an overflow of provision in your life. Psalm 111, verse 5. He gives food to those who fear him. He always remembers his covenant. Psalm 34, verse 9 through 10. Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. If the band could come back. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Get the relationship right. Hit the reset button. Realign. Realign. Put God in his rightful place. Posture yourself in your rightful place. Your response then will be natural and there is great reward. Let's hit the reset button for 2018. Let's stop doing what we've always done. You know, you will never get a different result doing the same thing over and over again. You say, oh, I want victory. I want breakthrough. I want fruitfulness. Don't keep doing the same thing if it hasn't produced those results. Of course, if it's producing those results, keep doing what you're doing. But sometimes we have to go back, hit control, alt, delete. Give God control again. Let him make some alterations in our life and let him delete some stuff that does not belong in our future. Amen. And come on, let's stand together.